Grab a seat, grab your Bible and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 4 here in a moment. Some of you are going, I don't know where that is. Is Acts like a weapon? Is it a body spray? I'm not sure what it is. That's okay. It's going to be on screen here in just a moment. But if you're a guest with us, my name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here and it is truly a privilege to be a part of this body and be able to serve and be alongside so many of you in the mission that God has given us to be a reproducing, multiplying church where here in Chattanooga, we want God to be seen and known and loved. And so if you're looking for a church home or maybe you're sort of kicking the tires of faith, you're not even to the point of saying, I want a family. This is a great place to explore, ask questions, and by God's grace, get to know Jesus Christ a little bit better because we think he's a pretty big deal. And we know that if you get to know him, you'll think the same thing. To all of our guests joining us in the cafe or online, welcome. We're glad you're with us. And for those who are joining us because you're stuck at home, because you're sick, or because of uh, some sort of thing that's prohibiting you from being here, again, welcome. We love you and we're glad to be a part of this morning with you. Now, before I get into this morning's message, I need to give just a real quick promo for next week because you do not want to miss next Sunday. Next week... We begin the first week of what has historically been known and called Advent. Go ahead and put this slide up, if you will, here. Advent. Everyone, uh, on the count of three, just say Advent. One, two, three. Very good. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which simply means the coming or the arrival of a noteworthy person or event. Because starting next week and for four weeks, we are going to be looking at the arrival of King Jesus first as a baby at Christmas, but then also the expectant return of King Jesus, not as a baby, but as a king. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this historic moment and what it does to change not simply our past or our future, but our present. And so you do not want to miss next week. In fact, you have friends who are not yet following Christ, but this time of year, they will be leaning into it and more open to it because of the season. And so this is a great time to begin inviting your friends. We're going to do some things in our gatherings that we've not done before that I think will be real fun and very meaningful. But whatever, whatever you have going on next week, cancel it and be here as we kick off that series, okay? Now today we're going to continue and really wrap up our four-week brief look at what are you for? What are you for? And our big idea over these four weeks that we have, as we've been asking this question is simply this, every person, every organization, every church, every group is known by what they are for or against. Everyone you've ever met will be primarily known by what they are for or by what they are against. And here's what I mean. You know people who are known primarily by what they are against. They are the critics. They are the complainers. They are the ones who always find something wrong with what's going on. They are the perpetual Eeyore in your Winnie the Pooh life. Anyone know what I'm talking about here? Thanks for noticing me. These are those people. They're against. But people who are known by what they are for, they're the people who are constructive. They are contributors. They are not consumers. They are those who have vision and are running towards something. Now, people who are for things absolutely are against other things, 
but it's because they are running towards something. That's why they're against, but their focus is on what they're for. And here's the problem. In the American church, unfortunately, and I think sometimes it's because the church has done some things not so well, and other times it's just because the world doesn't like us all that much sometimes, but here's the thing. The reality is, in America, the American church is unfortunately often known primarily by what she is against than by what she is for. She's known by who she's against, by the activities she's against, by the politicians she's against. It's as, it's as though fundamentalists, fundamentalists meaning we, we hold to the fundamentals, it's almost as though the world knows fundamentalists as those who have no fun because we are known by what we are against. But what we want to be known for is what we are for. And so we've been looking at the book of Acts because it is the starting point of our church family. It's where the church began. It's where we see what we are for. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at four things over four weeks that we are for. And we found these through the book of Acts because this is what the church has historically been for. So in week one, we said we are for, let's all say this word together. We are for, let's try this again and sound like you're happy, okay? Just, just here, before we do this, let's, let's practice. Do this first. All right, it'll help. Ready? Okay, on the count of three. We are for one, two, three. Jesus. We're for Jesus. He's our message. He's the one we talk about, brag about. We want him to be famous. We want him to be known because he is our savior. And he loved us when no one else would. He saved us when no one else could. Jesus is a big deal. So we are for Jesus. Then the next week we said, we are for the next generation. Next generation of who? The next generation of people who do not yet know Jesus, have not said yes to Jesus, have not put him on as their Lord and their Savior. We are for those people because we once were the next generation. You once were lost. You once did not have hope, but then Jesus found you. And so now we want others to experience the joy and the life that we have experienced in Jesus. And then last week, we said we are also for the city, and in particular, we are for our city, because it is where God has placed us on purpose, for a purpose. And we said we don't simply want to live and thrive in the city as some little subculture where we get the blessings of God and hold on to them and hoard them, but we want to be the conduits, the, the passageway by which God is blessing the entire city of Chattanooga, where God's will and God's kingdom are seen here, just like in heaven. And we say that's what we're for, but, but, but here's, here's where we are today. I think the danger in what we have done is if we stopped with last week, many of us would be crushed under the weight of these three things. I want to be for Jesus. I want to be for the city. I want to be for the next generation. And we are all for those things until, until, hear me now, you're for the next generation until you bump into a difficult person. And all of a sudden, you're not for them anymore, are you? By the way, show of hands, we do this regularly, but I want us to make sure we're all in this together. Show of hands, how many of you have ever met a prickly person, a difficult person? Go ahead, let me see your hands. Now, again, hold the hands up high. You know where we're going now. If your hand is not raised, the reason yours is not raised is because you are everyone else's prickly person. You know this, okay? Let's just kind of get this out there. So we can say we are for the next generation until we run into someone who's difficult. And then we go, I, I don't know how. 
Or we say we are for the city and we go out into the city and we go, I don't know how to be for the city. Or I am for Jesus, but I don't know how to live for Jesus. See, there is this gap between what we want and the will that we have to get there. Have you ever noticed this? Um, how many of you, don't raise your hands because we don't want to embarrass each other, but uh, how many of you have ever wanted to, like, for instance, lose weight? Don't, don't raise your hand. Keep it down. Keep it down. And so you're convinced, I'm going to lose five pounds. But here's the problem. It is the week before Thanksgiving Day. And you know, you want to lose weight, but you know when you pull into mom's house or when you pull into your grandparents' house or you know when you're going to the Cracker Barrel, by the way, come on, any place whose like object is in the shape of a barrel should tell you what you will look like after you eat there, okay? So, so you roll up to this place and you're like, I want to lose weight, but you know, you know, when you leave, you're not going to be down five pounds, you'll be up five pounds, How many of us know that we have wanted something, but we say, I don't know, and I don't have the will to get what I want? I I want to be a good husband, but there are days I do not have the will to be a good husband. Anyone else experience that? There are days that I want to be a great father. I want my children not simply to know about Jesus in some intellectual sense, but to know him individually and purposefully and personally. But then I come home and I'm mad, I'm tired. I yell at the kids, I kick the dog, we don't have a dog, so I just kick the kids instead. Not, not really, no, no, CP, no, no, okay. But you know what I mean, you come home and, and you want something, but you have this gap between what you want and the willpower to get there. Does anyone else, is anyone else honest enough this morning to raise their hand with me and say, there are days that I want something, but I don't have the willpower to get there. Anyone else in this room like that? And so here's the challenge when we say, well, I want to be for Jesus. I want to be for the next generation. I want to be for our city. Let's come up with our city. If I want to be for these things, but I don't have the willpower, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? The reason some of you are so frustrated in your faith walk is because of this right here. You have read the scriptures. You've seen the stories and you go, I want that. I desperately want to experience what God has planned for me, but I don't have the will to get there. Some of you are so frustrated that you've just started to fake it. And so you come in and you pretend like God has met you this week and you are even more frustrated because you know you were having to fake it because you go, I I want this, but I'm not experiencing this. And then we make you feel worse because we all come in pretending like we have it together as well. Have you seen this? I mean, I'm, I'm dressed as well right now as I will all week. This is not what I wake up wearing most days of the week. I've got matching socks on and everything. We look our best when we come in here. And so we only make it worse because then we say to one another, well, I've got it together. You should have it together. We want this, but do we have the will? And then, and then, here's the thing. There's some of you who are still exploring faith and you've been turned off by the church because you hear what we're supposed to be for, what we want, but you've seen what we actually are able to do in our own strength. And so here's where we're going to just land for the next about 15 minutes, and then we're going to call it a morning, but here it is. Are you ready? The fourth thing that we are for is essential. To be able to live out these first three, you cannot, you will not, you never will fully experience what God has for you if you do not lean into this fourth one. Are you ready? Here it is, very simply. We are for the Holy Spirit's presence. We are for the Holy Spirit's presence. Some of you are going, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is. Real quick, and 
We're going to dig into this a lot more next summer. We're going to spend many weeks talking about who the Holy Spirit is, but that should be your first clue. The Holy Spirit is not a what. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a who. The Holy Spirit is the third person of God. You say third person? I thought there was only one God. Yes, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've talked about this. The Spirit of God. You can, he is the person of God. He's not an impersonal force like Star Wars. We don't use the force, Luke. We are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God. And what you'll see, if you read through the book of Acts, from chapter 1 through chapter 28, he shows up. And every time the church grows, the church moves, the church increases, the church does anything of value, you will see the Holy Spirit spoken in that section as well. And this is why Jesus says in chapter 1, he tells his followers in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, guys and gals. Do not leave this one place until God gives you the gift of the Spirit. Why? Because you may want to do these things, but you will not in your own strength have the will to do it. You wait for God to give you the will and the power. And so we're going to look at a passage in chapter 4 when the church faced a particularly difficult moment. And in this moment, they had a choice to make. Will they rely on their own ability and get results that are at the level of their ability? Or will they lean into the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit? So look with me now. Acts chapter 4. This begins in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests... And elders had said to them. So here's what's going on real fast. Go back one slide. So what's happening is Peter and John, two of Jesus' followers, have gone out telling people about Jesus. He's great. He's alive. He's good. And the chief priests and the priests, the leaders, they don't like this. Because they were the ones who had Jesus executed about 50 days earlier. And so they have Peter and John arrested and they, they threaten them and they, 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 they try to intimidate them and then they send Peter and John back out and say, don't you dare tell anyone about Jesus. Don't you dare do it. But Peter and John, they run back and I love this phrase, they go to their own people. By the way, you need to have your own people. You need to have those that you run to in moments when you need encouragement. And they go back and they say, this is what happened. And notice what it says next. Look at this next slide. When they heard this, notice, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. See, the church did what the church always does when the church doesn't know what to do. They did what the church always does when the church doesn't know what to do. They prayed. They said, God, help us. And this is the prayer they prayed. Look at this. By the way, actually, before we do this, listen to me real quick. If you were threatened... If your children were threatened, if things go bad, what is the prayer that you and I pray? Do we pray for boldness or do we pray for safety, church? Well, if you're like me, you pray for safety. Oh, Lord, please protect us. Put a hedge of protection around. By the way, how many of you grew up hearing people say hedge of protection? Anyone? You know you're a part of the church of Christ if, right? The hedge of this idea that God, you protect us. But listen to me, they do not pray for God's protection. They pray for God's presence and God's power to do God's will 
It's amazing. God often answers the prayers we pray in the ways that we pray the prayers. And so they say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the, say these two words with me, Holy Spirit. There you go, Spirit, through your servant, our father David. And now they're going to quote the Old Testament. Go to the next slide. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So they're just saying, God, you know what the nations of this world are doing. They're against you. But notice this. Next slide. Indeed, Herod the ruler over that area, and Pontius Pilate, one of the governors, met together with the Gentiles, those who don't trust in God, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, notice this, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So they're even saying, God, you know what's happening. You know what's going on in our world. You know what we are facing. And notice what they say next. These people, they did what your power and will. Your power and your will. See, here's the thing. A lot of times I tell God, I don't have the willpower, but they're saying we don't have the willpower, but you have the power and the will. These people only did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen, meaning it looks like everyone else is in control, but God, you're still in control. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants. Enable your servants, meaning we can't do this without you. Enable your servants to speak your words with great, everybody say this word with me, boldness. They don't say, God, give us a safe, simple, selfish life. They're not praying a little prayer. They're not asking for a little bit of this, a little bit of that, or just give us protection. They're saying, God, you have called us into something so big, so grand, but we can't do this unless you enable us. Stretch out your, your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And notice this. This is amazing. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And two miraculous things happened. They were given power. Notice this. And they spoke the word of God boldly, meaning they spoke externally. God gave them power to do something outside of themselves. They could not, would not, cannot do on their own. And then notice this, and all the believers were one in heart and mind. I'm not sure which one's the greater miracle, that they told others about the name of Jesus or that the church was unified. That's a miracle, isn't it, church? That they were one in spirit and heart, that they loved each other, that they had each other's back. The Spirit of God shows up in this powerful, powerful way. Now, here's the question. What does this have to do with living out what God has called us to? I just want to make a couple of observations because here's what we are seeing. We are seeing the church recognizing that there is a gap between what they want and their own willpower to get there. They recognize what they are leaning into by God's direction and what they actually have the ability to do on their own. And so they pray a big, bold prayer, God, help us. In other words, they're saying, God, hook up the jumper cables of your spirit to our situation because we can't do this on our own. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus did in his ministry. Uh, Think back with me. 
Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we are told that Jesus operated in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, where do we get that? Let me just list off a few things. You can check this out later. Jesus, we're told, was conceived or born by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're told then when Jesus begins his ministry, when he's about to begin teaching the kingdom of God and doing miraculous signs, we're told in Matthew chapter 3 and in Luke's gospel and in Mark's, all three of them, he goes and is baptized in the Jordan River and in his coming out of the water, something descends on him. Do you remember what it was? It was a dove. The Holy Spirit came in a physical form and landed on him. And then we're told that in chapter 4 of Matthew that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert where he was with God for 40 days. And then the Holy Spirit led him into Galilee and Judea to preach. The Holy Spirit enabled him to do miraculous signs. The Holy Spirit gave him wisdom. The Holy Spirit's work through Jesus. And then here's the most incredible thing. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, he looks to his followers and it says that up on a mountaintop, he gathers them together. This is his last thing, what he's going to say. And he, he looks at them and he says, and listen, I'm going to give to you. My father is going to send, as I leave, the, this, this gift that has enabled me to do what I've done. I'm now sending you out in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you have been given the same gift that Jesus Christ at his baptism received to walk in and do what God had called him to do. And so here's the thing. So you say, wow, that's, that's incredible. Why is it that we don't experience? Well, okay. Here, here. Do you notice this text? I think it's so powerful. How does the Holy Spirit move in us? How does the Holy Spirit change us? How does the Holy Spirit deal with us? I think probably there's a hint in one little word. It's, it's this word right here, the word spirit. Uh, this word spirit... If you're reading in the New Testament, the Greek word for spirit is the word pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. So you have pneumonia, right? That'll give you a hint as to what that word can be translated. So you have pneuma in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, if you're reading, it's the Hebrew word ruach. Everyone say ruach. That one's a fun one because it sounds like you're coughing something up, right? I mean, it just <clears throat> clears the sciences. Ruach hakodesh means the breath of of God, the word ruach and pneuma translated spirit, but they can also be translated breath. So, so if power, when we talk about God's presence as power, if that doesn't touch you, think about it this way. What about the word life? The breath of God. Have you ever thought about the fact that you and I are dependent on our next breath? You cannot live without your next breath. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how fit you are. It doesn't matter if you do CrossFit, if you do you know, the weights at the gym, if you do Pilates, if you do nothing. You cannot. You will not live without your next breath. In fact, just, let, let's just do the show of hands real fast. Um, have you ever tried to hold your breath for like 10 seconds? How many of you could like hold your breath for 10 seconds? I, okay, if your hand is not raised, we will bring medical personnel to you right now. Do not move, just, just hang in there. Okay, hey, how many of you? 10 seconds, anyone? Okay, what about this? How many of you could hold your breath, let's say, for 30 seconds? Anyone? Got 30 seconds? Yeah. Uh, any of you able to hold your breath for uh, a minute? 
Some of you, fewer hands, two minutes. <laughs> I, I need some help. Let's do this uh, real fast. Who can do? Who can hold a breath for thirty seconds, real quick? Someone. Okay. Uh, let's see. Someone who, right back here, gentlemen. Yes, I can't see who that is, but hand raised, dark jacket. Yep. Nope. Not looking over your shoulder. You come on up here, real quick. Okay. I love this. He's like, nope. Okay, come on up here, real quick. Everybody, give him a hand, real fast here. All right, come. On. Come on here. Okay. Just come stand here right here with me, okay? Uh, I want you to hold your breath. 30 seconds. You're on the clock. Ready? Just go. Now, while he does that, let me tell you something. In survivalist groups, they talk about the rules of three, that if you're in harsh winter conditions, there are three rules that you have to remember. The first one is that in harsh winter conditions, you can only last three weeks without food. Three weeks. If in harsh winter conditions, you can only last for two days without water, but you can only survive for three hours without shelter in harsh winter conditions. But I'd like to add another rule of three, that you can only live, generally speaking, for three minutes without breath. All right, so let's see how we doing here. I got a little clock up there. Are you doing okay? Are you hanging in there? I love this. He's manning up. I got more than 30 seconds. Okay. Now, now, here's the reality. The more fit you are, the longer you can hold your breath, correct? So if you are exercising, if you're working out, oh, there we go, okay. <laughs> hey, give him a hand. Good job. Thank you. Now, now, don't miss this. Listen real carefully. He's in good shape. But even he cannot hold his breath indefinitely. And by the way, if you're trying to beat the world record, you'll never do it. You know what the world record of breath holding is? Seven and a half minutes. You'll never do it. But even that person, even that person, after seven and a half minutes, they need oxygen to move, don't they? Listen, here's, here's the interesting thing. If I would have brought different people of different ages and health up here, they would have all held their breath for different lengths of time, correct? Maybe a, a five-year-old would hold for 20 seconds. Yeah! A 35-year-old, someone who's very fit maybe, would hold it for a minute or two. Someone who may have some health issues, maybe, you know, 40 seconds. Who knows? We're just... But here's the reality. No matter how fit you are, you will not live without your next breath. Is it any wonder that the Holy Spirit of God, that the word spirit literally means breath? Because you were not meant to live without the oxygen of God flowing and empowering you to live. How many of us are attempting to hold our breath and live for God? Is it any wonder that we're blue in the face half the time, we're frustrated because we can't live? We're frustrated because we're not doing what God has called us to because we are attempting to do it without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Here's what you need to know. I believe God wants to do extraordinary things in your life. What is he calling you into? Where is he calling you to serve, to give your life, your time? Where is he inviting you to step out in a more generous way? Who is he inviting you to speak to? Who's that prickly person? For some of us, it's not even any of these things. Who's the person he's calling you to forgive this morning? And you say, I can't do that on my own. I want to, but I don't have the will. He says, you were not designed to do it on your own. So how do we breathe in? They prayed. 
One interesting thing about this little passage says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you know your New Testament, you know that in Acts chapter 2, these very same believers were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. You say, well, wait a minute. So if they were already filled, how did they get filled again? Here's how. As you practice your breathing exercises, have you noticed that your lung capacity increases? As you exercise your faith muscles, as God fills you and you allow him to work, as you say yes to him when he tells you something, as you listen to him, he works and your capacity expands. And so then when you pray, Lord, fill me again, he comes and says, I can fill more, I can fill more, I can fill more. Is it possible that God is wanting to move in your life and in our church in a way that we've never dreamt if we would but breathe and take him in? So what are we going to do this morning? We're not going to go do anything today. We're going to breathe instead. I'm not going to tell you run out there and change the world, although through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can before Jesus. Although through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can before the next generation. Although through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be for our city. But I'm not going to tell you run out there and do those things. We need to breathe in the presence of God this morning. And you say, that sounds weird. That sounds mystical. That sounds mysterious. I don't like it. Okay. But do you like to breathe? Then all I'm going to invite you to do is do that.